Isn't it amazing what God can do with a surrendered life? You know, I'm a Teen Challenge graduate. I owe my sobriety to what I learned in Teen Challenge. My whole journey and walk with the Lord began with Teen Challenge. And I don't know if you guys can imagine this, but it's not easy for students in our program to come up here on stage and to do what we do every Sunday. If you would, just give these guys one more round of applause. You know, I'm amazed at just what God can do when someone bows their knee to the, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you know, and uh, just a few closing comments here before we get into God's word. Number one is uh, we appreciate your prayers. If you would please keep our ministry in your prayers, it would mean so much to us. Just to recap, we do have our centers right here in San Jose. We have our center in Oakland. We do have an adolescent boys center and charter school in Reno. We have a uh, crisis center for adult men in Vegas. Uh, and before too long, uh, just as soon as we can get them out there in time, she's a little preoccupied with getting ready to have a child here shortly. Um, Kim and her husband, Jeff, have been asked to direct a new center which is opening up in Nevada and the heart of that particular ministry will be for girls that are being rescued out of the sex trafficking industry. And so please keep them in your thoughts and, and, and prayers. It would mean so much to us. A um, few other quick closing comments. We do have a booth back there. If you have any, uh, if you have any questions about Teen Challenge, Please don't hesitate to come and see us after service. Uh, we want to be able to be here to pray for you. If you have someone in your life that needs help, um, please don't have this be all about Teen Challenge. Let us be there for you. And so after service, just know we're here. We're available. Should you know someone in your life that needs help, uh, please just come and flag us down. Come and see us. We'd be honored to uh, take a few minutes and talk with you and see how we can help. Amen. All right, choir, you're dismissed. Thank you so much. Guys, give it up for the choir one last time. Well, for those of you that have your Bibles, please turn with me to the 23rd Psalm. As soon as I knew that this was, you know, an Acts 29 kind of a church, I made sure I brought my big ESV Bible. Because <laughs> I seen that, you know, the John Piper on the webpage and the Statement of Faith. And I thought, this isn't the kind of service where I can bring my little NIV. I have to go with the ESV with the, myth, the MacArthur study notes in the back. Um, because I just felt it was appropriate for today's service. Um, well, praise God for those of you that... Uh, hopefully do have your Bibles. If you didn't, please turn with me to the 23rd Psalm and I will open us in a word of prayer. Well, Father God, I, I come to you humbly this morning and I continue to be amazed at why you would choose a man like me who is so flawed and at times so hypocritical to communicate your truth to your people. 
Lord, it seems as though you do use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I pray, Lord, for Mercy Hill, for the leadership, for the people here, for Teen Challenge. I pray that your word would have the ability and the power to minister to us this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Let us hear what we need to hear. Let us see what we need to see. I pray that the name of your son Jesus would be glorified through our morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I also do want to publicly repent for wearing a suit. If Nick would have told me he preached in his sandals, I wouldn't have done this. <laughs> we had a joke before we prayed before service. I said, when we come to different churches, you can come overdressed, but you don't want to come underdressed. It's one of those things. So if we come back in the future, I'm coming in my shorts. <laughs> Anyways, the 23rd Psalm, we're going to take a look at just one verse this morning. For time's sake, I'm going to try to be as punctual as I can. My wife tells me I'm the kind of guy that just keeps going, so I've strategically picked a few people on this side of the church to just do this as we get closer. So if you see that, nothing's wrong. They're just telling me I need to wrap it up. So the 23rd Psalm, we're going to take a look at verse 5 and just a, a little few opening remarks on the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm is, of course, one of the most often recited, well-known passages in the Bible. It's right there with the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, it's one of those passages that even non-believers will have the 23rd Psalm, usually in a frame on their hallway next to the steps or something like that. And it's just one of those famous classic passages that has always resonated with people, whether they believe in God or not. A very powerful uh, portion of Scripture. And uh, what I believe David shows us in the 23rd Psalm is, in verse 1, he gives us a glimpse of God as our shepherd. In verse 2, he gives us a glimpse of God as our comforter. In verse 3, he shows us God as our leader. Verse 4 as God our corrector, and in today's verse, verse 5, he gives us a glimpse of God as the great blessing giver. And I don't know about you, but I'll take all the blessings that I can get from the Lord. Amen. Now, many commentaries will say that David wrote this later in his life, and they state the fullness of experience that they see in David's writing when he wrote this passage. Now, David was a key player in the Old Testament, and we can learn a lot uh, from the life of David. David was a shepherd boy. So we know from looking at that that we know not to disqualify ourselves for a future because of humble beginnings. David was a harp player. We know not to judge ourselves against the stereotype of who society thinks we should be. David was the runt of the litter. We can learn not to apologize for God's purpose in our life. David was also the giant slayer. And so we know it's not the size of the man, but it's the power behind him. Amen. David was a king. We know that God uses the odd man out in the least of these in order to make an impact on this world. Amen. So verse 5, David says, you prepare a table before me. Now, David brings up the image that 
Right as he walks in the shadow of death, God is preparing nourishment, favor, and blessings for him. And you know, church, we don't realize that in the midst of our dark times, the hand of God is stirring up favor for us. God won't let you stay in darkness forever. And it can be really bizarre when that happens in life. You know, God can pull out all the stops and he won't only make a way for you in life, but he will richly bless you in this life. And the kicker is, is that if you're anything like me, you don't have anything to do with it. It wasn't even because you were particularly obedient or faithful to God in your day-to-day life. He's not the God of mediocrity. He's not the God who settles. He lavishes his love on his children. Amen? God is gracious and God is loving. It's in his nature to do this for us. So I'm going to give you eight points just because I want to be the best theologian I can, even though I only have a GED. Amen? So point number one, God is preparing blessings for you. Because he loves you that much. Now we get a piece of the pie on this side of eternity. But we get the whole thing when we see Jesus face to face. Now Teen Challenge, especially in San Jose, they know me. But just to preface this in case you think I'm going to go sideways here. I don't want to sound like one of the tele-evangelist guys. But God does have blessings in store for you. He does. A quick definition of blessings for today's sermon would simply mean God's favor and protection. And there's a purpose for that blessing. When we look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, the scripture says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. See, the amazing part of Christianity is that it really, truly isn't about us, is it? See, sometimes we can get wrapped up in a culture where we can come to church and we can come to chapels and we can say that our life is not our own, but there's a lot that can be experienced at the altar, but yet we need to be able to practically walk out our faith in day-to-day life. Our life is not our own. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Church, he's preparing blessings for you, but he's also preparing to meet every practical need that you have. I learned in counseling to help clients identify and tell the difference between their wants and their needs. Paul says, and my God. You know, in an age where we don't take ownership over much of anything these days. Isn't it amazing how Paul takes ownership for his God? And brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it, he is yours. Paul says in Romans that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not a demon in hell can keep you away from Jesus. Right. Amen. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. 
You know, when I don't see God's blessing in my life, I walk as if, not as, you know, if I'm delusional or, you know, brainwashed or I really don't comprehend what's going on in my life. I, I'm often very aware of what's going on in my life. But it's because we have to get to a place in our lives where we choose to trust the precious promises of the Lord. A quick quote on the 23rd Psalm says, As a kid, I was taught that if you open the Bible in the middle, you'd probably land on the book of Psalms. And near the middle is everyone's favorite, the 23rd. And there is this line, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't know how many times I've read or recited this psalm without pondering what that line actually means. But here's my take on it. When things are a bit tense, when life is not going at its best, when the potential for disaster is just around the corner, when your enemies are all around you and even staring you down, that's when God lays out the red checkered picnic cloth and says, ooh, this is a nice place. Let's hang out here together for a while, just you and me. And that's what God does. Point number two, come to the table and eat. I shared with Teen Challenge yesterday morning that I want and need Jesus more now than I ever have in my life. You know, I can remember back to being in New York and going through the Teen Challenge program and thinking about how hard it was, but how many of us know that sometimes God uses seasons of your life to prepare you for the next And then I completed the program and I started to take on some responsibility and I was a father again and a husband and I started to accept the call that God had on my life since I was a little boy and then I really realized just how bad I need Jesus. Amen. I don't know about you, but as burdens start to pile up, I need to drop to my knees to get the help that I need. So if you want what Peter calls inexpressible joy, then you must chase after God. Two scriptures from the Old Testament and two from the New. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. The Bible says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Brothers and sisters, if you're at a place in your faith where you feel unfulfilled this morning, You can always rule in your responsibility and you can always rule out God's negligence. He is a caring father. He will always do what he says he will do. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forgot you. God is faithful. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Proverbs 8. Verse 17 says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Now, when you show up for a new job, you have to do some of the preparation items. You might get a new outfit. You might get yourself groomed. Hopefully, you're doing that anyways. You do a little rehearsing. And you do all that because it's important to you. And you want to give your job the best that you can. 
if God was half as important to you as that new job, you would stop playing games and start seeking Him while you still have time. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So why are some of us losing our minds as if it won't happen? If you have that desire for God to meet you and to help you where you are in your life, then brothers and sisters, you can count on Him helping you to meet you exactly as you are in your life. David says that God prepares a table before him. If there was a table before you, would you come to the table and eat? Verse 5 goes on to say, in the presence of mine enemies. Point number three is God brags on you. Now, have you ever wound up in some places in your life where you know you had no business being there? And the only reason that you ended up there was due to God's blessing in your life? That's been my entire life story, by the way. I just continue to be amazed at God because He delights in bestowing blessings on His people. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The psalmist said in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Church, he's my defender in the presence of my enemies. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God brags on you. Are you looking for that in your life? I'll give you three quick steps to prepare yourself to accept God's blessing in the middle of of being attacked. Three steps. Number one, train yourself to do it. How you do that is through time in the scriptures. Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Step number two is believe that God can do it. In the book of Mark, chapter 9, the scripture says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Well, let me share something with you that we talked about yesterday at Teen Challenge. We all have had seasons of unbelief in our life. What we don't like to broadcast is that unbelief can be a part of our rock too. So we can all go there. But brothers and sisters, don't stay there. Don't stay there. Ask God to help you with your unbelief. Number three, walk 
as if it's there. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. To really walk with him is not something that we can fake, is it? We have to do the work. We have to do the work. To walk with God means there are sacrifices that we have to make. It means that we have to be willing to bury our face in the Bible and cry out to Him until He answers you and other people that we know have gone on to have fun for the day. My Bible tells me to renounce all that I have if I want to be a disciple. Now, Teen Challenge, most of our staff live on site. We have very, very humble lives. We're certainly not in it for the money, that's for sure. But God has blessed us. God has blessed us. I'm happier now doing what I do than I've ever been in my life. Hands down. I've never been happier. Is life hard? Of course. My kids drive me crazy sometimes. I'm going to confess that to you. But I love them. I love my wife. I love the life that God's given me. Yes, it gets hard, but yes, God will pull you through. Amen? Point number four, don't apologize for your favor. After all, you don't have anything to do with it in the first place. I don't know if anyone else can identify with David there. You see, part of our Christian heritage is a long history of people who were incredibly flawed and hypocritical, but yet God blessed them anyways. Look at the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. The Bible says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But in chapter 9, verse 21, it says, He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Noah could have been the first director of Teen Challenge, by the way. Once he went through the program, he was... But isn't that amazing that Noah can get drunk and do weird stuff and make these terrible, shameful, embarrassing mistakes, but he found favor in the eyes of the Lord? So why do we get trapped in this mentality that there's something that we have to do in order to get there? Why can't we just accept the heritage that we have as believers and just realize that, yes, we did blow it, and I'm probably going to blow it tomorrow, but God's love is so amazing and powerful that he's going to bless me in spite of myself. When I went to Teen Challenge in New York, my mentor took me for a car ride and he said, Spencer, if there's one thing that I can leave with you in your whole season here, it's the doctrine of justification. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to be quick, but justification, of course, is the act of declaring or making righteous uh, in the sight of God. In Galatians 3, the scripture says, just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Titus chapter 3 says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, here's the thing. I'm not righteous because I accepted God in my life. The truth is, is that I didn't. The only thing that I could take credit for in my life is that I've ran from God. And on a bad day, I'm still a runner. But on a bad day, he is still God. And he pursues me and he saves me in spite of myself. That's how good God is to me. David goes on to say, you anoint my head with oil. Point number five is God is good all the time. 
Now, this was an indication of abundance. You pour so much oil on my head that my head actually appears to get big. So the next time that someone tells you that, you know, you have a big head or you're big headed, you can just tell them you're anointed. God is good all the time. But when you don't have anything in your life that you can point to that will testify to this truth, remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Paul says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is good because He left you with a pulse this morning. The psalmist said in Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. That spouse that irritates you sometimes, don't look at him right now because we'll all know who it is. God is so good that He left you with that one that loves you enough to stick around. The headache that you complained about this morning, God's so good that he saw fit for you to have a sound mind that you would even know you had a headache this morning. He's the great blessing giver. It's what he does. It's who he is. Point six, moving quickly. God is the initiator. God is the initiator. A quick recap on the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Am I the only one that feels like I'm going crazy when sometimes in church we like to talk about how much we've done to get what we have? He's the lover of our souls. In John 15, 16, the scripture says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The psalmist said in chapter 37, verse 39, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 says, In being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He is the author of our salvation, the King James says. David goes on to say, My cup overflows. Point number seven, it's not a burden to follow God. It's not a burden to follow him. David wrote the passage when he experienced the powerful presence of God and he had a great confidence in him. He said, my cup overflows, but it doesn't always, does it? We know that the Christian life is full of ups and downs and unemployment and uncertainty and strained relationships and, and the biggest culprit, which is me. 
you know, we talk so much about drifting away in church. And, you know, once again, we talked about it just yesterday morning, is that apart from Jesus Christ, drifting apart is my default position. That's what I do. That's what you can bank on me doing apart from God's grace and Him keeping me close to Him. If it wasn't for the loving, merciful, tender hand of God, where would I be? Where would I be? I would have been dead a long time ago. I was a drug addict for 13 years. People wouldn't answer their door for me six years ago. People wouldn't take my call. God has been good. So it's not a burden to follow God. I'm going to run through this in about two minutes just to finish this up. Amen? Bear with me. If you want to relieve the burden, start finding the commandments. Some people say that that might be called legalistic. But let me also share with you this morning, Mercy Hill, that some of my biggest seasons of growth have been times when I could have been accused of being legalistic. You call it legalism. Some might call it obedience. See, we take this term legalism and it's kind of a phrase that we throw around to other people that have started to walk in obedience at a different level that we're at. So that's the term that we use to ease our conscience so we can feel better about not walking in obedience that they are. So we love to talk about the Spirit leading us, but when it comes to the mechanics of what it really looks like to walk in holiness with the Lord, then we all tend to lose it. The psalmist said in chapter 84, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Last point, point number eight, maybe I should thank Him anyways. Because the Bible says to thank Him anyways. Because believe it or not, you are over the top blessed. Your cup is your portion in your life. It's the sum of what you have and who you are in relation to the rest of the world. David, presumably after some long years, testified that his overflowed. My question for you is, has your cup overflowed? What's stopping you from seeing God's blessing in your life? So we continue to fight the schemes of the enemy through thanksgiving and through worship. The last scripture is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I've had to learn that maybe I need to kind of relearn to keep giving God the glory in my life through the bitter and through the sweet because we're over the top blessed. He is the great blessing giver. Amen. David led a long life full of mistakes and downfalls, but it was also a life full of grace and victories. And so may we all be a little bit more like David, but may we all be a lot more like Jesus. Amen.